Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be and so Esther 7 and 1, and I, I'm going to call this, we're going to do Esther 7 and 8 today. I'm going to call this message today, The Tables Are Turned. The Tables Are Turned. Esther 7 and 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. At my petition and my people at my request, her secret's out, see that? And my people at my request, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Secret's out. All these years as queen, she's been keeping it from him that she is a Jew, and she just said, me and my people. So he knows she's a Jew, but, but take, take notice, he did not get mad at her, did he? Because I believe the Lord is holding the king's wrath, saving it for Haman. God's controlling this here. He's holding his wrath for Haman. And I like how Esther makes the case that if all the Jews are killed off, the enemy could never compensate for that loss. I had to think that the Jews in the empire, in the Persian empire, they were great contributors to the kingdom. They were a workforce, and they added to business and trade. Part of the reason I come up with that is because Pharaoh didn't want to let them go because he thought, I'm going to lose my workforce. So they contributed a lot to the kingdom. But also, and I'm trying to think from the king's perspective here for a minute, now that he knows Esther is a Jew... I think, possibly, he just realized that if Esther died under Haman's decree, he would never, ever find another woman among the Jews' enemies that could fill the role of being queen like Esther has been. The enemy could never compensate for the loss, she said. And I think he's really starting to get this picture. He believed her when she said this. He believed what she said. And the king just also found out somebody somewhere had lied to him about this decree that's out. Remember, he thinks that Haman's decree was to round up just Jews that were breaking laws. So he has not connected this big problem that Esther is just now revealing. He has not connected this to Haman yet. He doesn't know who started all this. So Esther 7 and 5. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, 
the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified, terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath. See, now he's mad. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. Now he's the one scared. Now he's the one with the threat. The man that's been making the threats is now scared. But the king now, he's caught between his two highest ranking people. You ever been caught between two close people and you've got to make a decision? And so he doesn't know how to react yet, which is, might be the reason why he left. Plus, he's so infuriated, and plus, he doesn't know what to do about it. it. He just took off. So up until now, Haman is the the only guy that's been getting mad in the story. Mordecai insulted his honor, so Haman gets mad. But Haman has insulted the king's honor, has he not? And he did to the king exactly what he hated having been done to himself. He insulted the king's honor. But now this time, it's the king that's angry. And Haman, the hypocrite, is about to get a dose of his own medicine. This is why it's good to be careful about how you react to people, because you may wake up to find yourself that that you're doing the very thing that you can't stand people doing to you. Esther 7 and 8. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Okay, they're getting ready to drag him off to do some bad things. They covered his face. It's like, you're now a condemned man. We're about to do something with you. Come on. And they, they covered his face, took him. Now, Persians reclined on couches when they ate. Uh, and so Haman, he was so distraught, begging for his life, that he fell onto the couch with Esther. I'm telling you guys, anybody falls on a couch with my wife, <laughs> something's going to happen real quick. And so I understand the king's perspective. We already understand from previous chapters how severe the strictness of royal protocol is and the fact that you can't even approach the king without being invited first. He had to extend the scepter. If you went in uninvited, you were killed. Royal protocol, very strict. And so at the exact moment when the king walks back in the banquet room, God's timing... Haman is laying on the couch with Esther. Wow. This is severe. This is a serious violation. He may not have just been on Esther's couch, if not on Esther herself. A serious violation, not only against his wife, but royal protocol. Haman is done. That's it. Haman is done. Esther does not have to say another word to make her case, does she? She doesn't have to say another thing. And sometimes, guys, when you realize the king is fighting for you, you don't have to say a word. Just let him do it. It's done. Haman has made it clear he's never going to turn around. He's too driven in his evil ways. Esther 7 and 9. Now, Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, 
the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Whew, don't want to be nowhere near Haman right now. First off, I want to say this. Do not feel sorry for Haman. Don't feel sorry for him. He was wicked. Haman schemed through lies, and he tried to kill all the Jews in Persia. Kill them. Men, women, children, entire families by the thousands just to line his own pockets. He was going to plunder them and steal their property. And he felt no sorrow or compassion for the Jews. So do not feel sorry for Haman. James 2 and 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's a big reason why we should show mercy. If you won't give it, you won't get it. So Haman's judgment was executed on him, ironically, with the same gallows he had built to hang Mordecai. Now, it appears that there were other people around in the king's service that just did not like Haman at all. Bad track record going around. You're going to make enemies. So apparently he really had irritated the eunuch that said, look, the gallows. Look, there's gallows over here. Let's, what about that? You hear what's going on? <laughs> and so it looks like this eunuch seized the moment to help Haman out of the way. Haman was a problem to a lot of people. And so in the end, Haman had no help. He actually produced his own doom. And today our nation is being taught right now how to get what they want through angry bully tactics. James 1 and 20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I know you got a short temper. I got one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. But you got to control it. Don't fly off the handle. Philippians 2 and 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This means that humility, humility means you consider that everybody else is better than you are. That's a tough one to swallow right there when you word it like that. It does not matter if you're a CEO or the lowest guy on the, on the pole, everybody is better above you, and you got to treat them as such. That's the very attitude that Jesus had, because Scripture says he humbled himself down, he lowered himself even to the point of death on the cross. If Jesus did that for me, if Jesus did that for all humanity, then certainly you and I can do the same thing for the few people that we know. Haman refused to do it. He wanted to go up and up and up. And look what happened to him. It was his end. I don't want you to come to your doom from prideful things. I don't care what your stature is in society. Everybody's better than you now. You can still function in a position of, of, of authority that you've been given, but don't do it while thinking you're better than others. That's what doomed Haman. And Haman's death was not the end of it. Haman's death is not the end. What? You mean there's more? Isn't dying enough? No, there's more. <laughs> Esther 8 and 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai, 
came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. I want us to remember how Haman bragged about himself in chapter 5. He told people how rich he was and the multitude of his children and everything that the king had given to him. But now it's all gone. Not only is Haman gone, but now his family doesn't even get it. It's all given away. It's gone. He was hanged as a criminal. And when they hanged criminals, everything they had was confiscated, taken. What was that he planned on doing to the Jews? He wanted to take everything. Look what happened to him. What did he want to do to Mordecai? He wanted to hang him. Look what happened to him. Be careful how you scheme, especially if you think everybody's below you. It's going to come back and bite you. So not only is Haman dead, but everything he had was confiscated. No wealth to hand down, no legacy to leave to his children, nothing. Now in chapter 4, we read that Haman did not only plan to kill the Jews, he wanted to plunder, confiscate, take everything, but now everything's taken from him. Esther got all his property. And the very same signet ring that Haman used to try to seal the doom of the Jews has now been given to a Jew. (laughs) Mordecai, everything that Haman spent his entire life gathering up for himself is gone. And there's not a thing Haman can do about it now. The wickedness that Haman intended for others, the Lord put back on Haman. Wicked deeds will come back to you. Not a good way to be. Esther 8 and 3. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Okay, Haman's dead and gone. But the decree that he wrote to exterminate the Jews was still in effect. And the problem here is that by Persian law, once you set a decree out, it could not be revoked, not even by the king. Very important thing I want you to hang on to today. Keep that. Once it was decreed, you cannot take it back. Now, all the enemies of the Jews throughout the empire, they had received the decree. It is active. It is valid. And they're just waiting for that day that the decree allows them to attack the Jews that they hate so much. They're ready to pounce. But th- and so this decree, it's locked and loaded. It's out there now, but now something has to be done. It's good that Haman is gone and that Mordecai now has the signet ring of authority. But what do you do with a murderous decree that can't be taken back? This is the the core issue of the whole story here that you really need to hold here. What do you do 
about a murderous decree that's out there, but it can't be taken back. Now, I know that Esther says, revoke the letters devised by Haman, but watch closely in the next passage. The king tells her that it can't be taken back. The decree cannot be revoked. Watch what he says. Esther 8 and 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. He's like, I can't take that, that decree back, but y'all write another one. So really what you're looking at here is they need to write something to counter the first one. Okay, so not only did, king, did the king pass the house off to Nestor, and not only did the king give a signet ring to Mordecai, but now the king is proclaiming aloud that they have the royal power. They have the royal power and the resources available to them at their disposal to do whatever they want to do with it. Now, again, we have a situation here because whatever is decreed by the king can't be taken back. And so the king reminds them, whatever's written in the king's name and sealed with the signet ring cannot be revoked. So basically, the king said, no one, not even me, can take back Haman's decree. Basically, the king said, Haman's decree still stands. It still stands. You've got to write another decree that's better than the one Haman wrote to counter it. So what can be done? Esther 8 and 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. Remember, the first decree went out to Shushan and they were perplexed, they were shocked. We can't believe this decree came out to kill us all. Now they're doing the same thing again with this new decree. And they issued it in Shushan. So Mordecai's decree is now sent out. And it has stated that the Jews had the right to defend themselves and the right to annihilate and plunder any group that came up against them. The king says, you have my permission. 
you have my authority to do it. So Haman's decree said that their enemies could fight the Jews, but the second decree said that they had the right to turn it back on whoever tried. You now get to fight, and you, need, and you can protect yourselves, and you have the authority of the king for victory. And so now Israel's enemy has a moment of pause now, don't they? Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. This could come back the other way. New terms to consider here. If we try to kill them and fail, then not only will we be killed off, but the king will allow our property to be confiscated as well as plunder. That's now their new thought process here. Now, Israel's enemies who were waiting for Annihilation Day, they have to consider that this could mean their own annihilation. And the people would have known that this was serious news because it came from the king. Because news was spreading already that Haman's property has already been taken and confiscated. The guy that drafted the first decree to start this, he's dead, and his property is already gone. Don't you think that would start some fear? Esther 8 and 15, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now blue and white that Mordecai walked out with, that is the royal colors of the Persians now. He's now wearing royal color. And the fact that Mordecai wore these colors in public was a display that he now held the position that used to belong to Haman. (laughs) Okay? People are going to think twice about going on Haman's decree, especially when there's a new decree to follow behind it that gave them the right to protect themselves. And also wearing these clothes showed that Mordecai had the king's favor. But Mordecai did not use the favor of the king for his own benefit. You see what's happening. He used it for writing up a new decree for the benefit of the Jews, which has them from being perplexed in chapter 3 to now being restored with light, gladness, joy, and honor. Now here in chapter 8, I'm telling you the name of this is called Tables Are Turned. The Jews had now seen their God working in the highest levels of government for them. Isn't that a sight to see when you see God working in the highest levels of government? It's happening in America, believe me. And so part of this decree, this governmental decree within Mordecai's decree, is that it encouraged the king's authorities. I looked up historically the king's authorities in every province and city to actually help defend the Jews. It's not just, okay, y'all Jews can fight. The king's backing this. And any enemy that's going to go up against the Jews realizes they're going up against the king now too, because the king wants to protect the Jews because of Esther. And so not only did the tables turn on Haman, but also the tables were turned on all the Jews' enemies. Now their enemies have to consider if they try to plunder the Jews, the king has given them full authority for it all to go the other way back on them if they ever flinch. I would really be thinking twice now about going after the Jews. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.